Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. It is listed on all of them. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Alexa, if you tune in, you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreeview.com, which on the website, you can find full links to the show notes and guests. If you want to support the show, there's a support tab on the website, PayPal link, Amazon wish list, all of that, as well as follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and youtube.com slash About to Review. All right. Uh, I feel like I like win at turbo speed for that. Do you remember the old uh, Micro Machines commercials? That was what I just I felt do. like. <laughs> I used to have a bunch of Micro Machines back in the day. Of course you did. <laughs> uh, joining me on this week's episode is the one and only Tim Hall, the People's Critic. Hey, it's good to be back on this uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, it is. Edition of the show. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a Tuesday night. Normally, we record on like Sunday mornings, but this weekend was crazy, and I just got out of a movie tonight. So, luckily, uh, Tim was available for this late night edition of the About to Review podcast, uh, which means nothing to the listeners, considering they're listening to it whenever in the morning. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So the energy is different. It's, it's an evening <laughs> podcast. It is. It definitely is. Um, okay, so on this week's episode. We are going to talk about the Seattle Film Critics Society, which Tim and I are both a part of. We just announced our nominees for annual awards. So we'll go over a couple of those choices, as well as three new movie reviews, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Roma, and Mary Poppins Returns. So that will all be on this week's episode and before we get into those topics, we'll get into the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I think what it is, is when I'm alone in the studio, nothing really feels real. Like, time just does not really <laughs> progress at a normal speed. It feels like Vegas, when anytime you're walking around in a casino and you have no windows and no idea what time it is, <laughs> that is what being alone in the studio feels like, because I have no measure. Get you a clock. Get you a clock for the studio. Get Ugh. a nice <laughs> clock to hang on the wall. That would just be weird. Then it would stress me out because then I would just be looking at the clock. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. So other than my my crazy uh, Micro Machines voice, uh, the first thing that we'll talk about in lieu of doing some geek news uh, for this week, because I have not really prepared anything for the geek news, uh, we will talk a little bit about the exciting annual awards. This is only the second official kind of with the new organization of the Seattle Film Critics Society. This is our second awards a nomination. A, a nomination? That is not even a word. Uh, our second <laughs> award season, and this is the second time we've nominated for our awards. Yes. Is that what you're trying to say? A nomination. Yeah, gotcha. Do, 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 do. 
a nomination. <laughs> uh, yes. So what I want to start with our most unique category that we have for the Seattle Film Critics Society, which is our villain of the year. Now, this yeah. is something that Tim and I have talked about on multiple episodes pretty much throughout the year. Anytime a villain kind of piques our interest, we mention this category. So the nominees for the villain of the year are Eric Killmonger for Black Panther, uh, Jetem Manning, uh, who was played by Daniel Kaluuya in Widows, Phoenix Buchanan from Paddington 2, played by Hugh Grant, uh, the voice of Stem in Upgrade, played by Simon Maiden, and of course Thanos in Avengers Infinity War, portrayed by Josh Brolin. I have to say that I love that we have a piece of technology, uh, an intergalactic demigod, a just a regular dude with no superpowers or anything, just being evil and manipulative in Daniel Kaluuya, and then we have Killmonger from Black Panther. That is a pretty amazing spread. Oh, and then Phoenix Buchanan from Paddington 2, but I have not watched that yet, so I have no idea about that. That is, A, an awesome category, and B, those are some fantastic nominees. Yeah, I'm surprised that um, Michael Myers didn't make it. Yeah, I mean, especially for how much Seattle loves horror in general, that was a little bit surprising. But that being said, I would not put Michael Myers above Daniel Kaluuya in Widows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Daniel Kaluuya walks away with it, just... Like, he was so I good. Mean, he, he has less screen time than the rest of the people in the category, um, but is effective in the time he is on screen. And I'm surprised Stem got nominated. And I like Stem, but Stem is, was a cool, was actually a pretty cool villain. I mean, it's just Stem is just a voice, mm-hmm. essentially, and we're and we're watching what Stem is doing and not doing. Uh, but Stim was a cool character, and Upgrade was probably one of the most underrated films that came out this year. Seriously. A film a film that's great that people just don't talk about. Yeah, I, and I do not know why. It was so much fun. Um, but yeah, Jatem Manning, played by Daniel Kaluuya, the scene in the basketball court when he is telling the guy yeah. to freestyle, and he is just in his face just staring at him. I yeah, mean, you know something bad's going to happen. Oh, man. Nothing good comes from that conversation. And... It starts off like super awkward and the guy kind of gets into a flow. You see Daniel kind of just rocking with it and you're like, oh, maybe this is going to turn out okay. Spoiler alert, no. It really does not turn out okay. <laughs> I, I knew it was going to turn out okay when they initially <laughs> brought them up there and said they were rapping when they got hit. And they oh, got robbed. Right. These dudes were back there rapping because <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be nice rappers. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to end well for you. You were rapping when your bosses got robbed, so... Yeah, probably not wise. Yeah, no, not um, so much. My favorite part scene that he has when he when he tosses a guy out the wheelchair, stabs <laughs> him a couple times, is just you know in a bowling alley talking crazy to him. Mm-hmm. But as he leaves, he throws his wheelchair farther away from him. <laughs> but he the like important the, the important part of that, and we talked about it on the episode where we reviewed it. He knocks the guy out of the wheelchair, stabs him a couple times. Picks up the wheelchair and corrects it so it is standing upright, and then knocks it over again and pushes it farther away. <laughs> pushes it farther away. It's pretty good. That's a really good choice, Daniel. 
yeah. yeah. So that, that he he's and he's you know very a very uh, skilled actor and pulls that that character off very well. Absolutely, that actually is something that of all the screenplays that we were sent this year, which I'm a huge fan of. Most people who know me know that I just I love reading screenplays to kind of get that background, you know, to see the choices that the actors made, to see the choices the director made. I really want to see in the screenplay how that kind of was how that was written. If it was a complete yeah. choice and Daniel was like, "No, this is what the character would actually do." I I yeah. really wish I could. Maybe and mean with Oscar season coming up, they usually upload a lot of these screenplays around award season. So I might, you know, if they have if I have the chance to get that screenplay, I definitely want to look up that scene in particular. So yeah, so that that was our villain of the year category. Uh, best youth performance is another one that we really highlight that for some reason the Academy, they need to have a category like this because all too often with the Academy for the Oscars, I mean, it is tough if you have like a young breakout star against a Meryl Streep. Like that just is not, they should not be on the same playing field. Yeah, every two years we get like a really young actor and actress, mm-hmm. you know, Jacob Tremblay, Kuvanzane uh, Wallace. Um, every few years, it's like some young actor, young actress who shows up and sort of has this incredible performance, and they're up against you know people who've been you know their third, fourth time getting nominated. Yeah, <laughs> just it is not really fair. But this year, um, and also uh, while we are talking about this, so the full list for all of these are SeattleFilmCritics.com. And then also on social media, Seattle Critics, uh, we put up yeah graphics with all of the pictures and, and the nominees. But yeah, best youth performance. I'm not going to go through all of them, but three of them: Millie Shapiro from Hereditary, Millicent Simmons from A Quiet Place, and Elsie Fisher from Eighth Grade. Blew me away. And completely. I don't, I don't care about any of those. They all got robbed. Wait, what? They all got robbed from Halloween. The kid from Halloween got robbed, man. He was oh great. wow. <laughs> Okay, yeah, fair. It was great, man. He got robbed not being nominated. <laughs> Question, though, and so this is some, inside, <laughs> some, in, some inside baseball. The way that our voting works for the Seattle Film Critics Society is we are allowed to vote for five people, and it is weighted. So if you feel like Elsie Fisher is going to win the category, but you want to give somebody else a chance, you can put Elsie Fisher at, like, number three because she gets less points, and then the person you put at one gets a bigger shot. Where did you put that boy from Halloween? It was number one. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I right, the kid is number one. The kid yeah. is great. Uh we can actually yeah. find out. Uh we do know the person who tabulated all of these. Uh how many points? No, nope. nope. it's gonna make me mad. <laughs> okay. I don't even want to know. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so Elsie Fisher, Millie Shapiro and Millicent Simmons, those three actresses were incredible in their different roles like Millicent Simmons from A Quiet Place the visual acting that she was doing throughout the movie like the straight terror that you see in her face when it transitions from like oh we're just walking along a bridge and then she sees her dad turn reacts to him and then looks behind her like that whole scene is just incredible yeah the scene that really got me was uh you know near the third act when she's in the cornfield walking around mm. and her and the alien are both reacting to her hearing aid oh yeah and they don't know they're sort of you know they're sort of like two ships passing the night they don't see each mm-hmm. other but 
they're both having these very strong reactions to this the sonic sound in their ears. That's that was a really cool scene for me that she was in. I was like, oh, that's she did a good job. Yeah, so that was solid. Uh, Millie Shapiro in Hereditary. Again, the choices of visual acting that that she did were impressive. Like she had some obviously some good delivery, some good lines, but it was a lot of just body language and it was a lot of emoting that really sold that. And Elsie Fisher, I mean, she, I, I talked about it when I reviewed eighth grade, one of the most raw and authentic portrayals of that age that I have seen in a very long time. So Elsie Fisher, yeah, she crushed it. Uh, that was really cool. Um, skimming through a couple of the other categories, like best visual effects. I mean, yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout, Avengers, Annihilation, Black Panther, First Man. To me, as cool as First Man was in IMAX, we nothing was new. Nothing was original. It looked cool, but any of us who grew up near an IMAX theater, I remember going in elementary school and watching moon landing stuff and space stuff on an IMAX in elementary school. So for me, it was like, it looked cool, it looked beautiful, but it did not really blow me away versus something like Mission Impossible Fallout, where as you and I are watching it in the theater, being like, how did they do this? Like, not only how did they do this, but like the, the fact that they did it and Tom Cruise is flying a helicopter and operating the controls in a dogfight. Come on. Like that, that is crazy. It- it wasn't even to me that it, that it looked cool. I mean, they took things, the things that Tom Cruise or his character Ethan Hunt does in this film is stuff we've already seen a hundred times, but they, they, they shot it in a way that made it all feel fresh and new and exciting, despite the fact that this is the 100th time we've seen Tom Cruise run. <laughs> right. Him running across, him running on the building and, and jumping seemed cool. Mm-hmm. The motorcycle chase scene, motor, the motorcycle cycle chase sequence seems cool and we've seen these before but they, they had a way of shooting all those sequences to make them feel really really interesting even though it's stuff that we've you know we've seen a bunch yeah absolutely um annihilation getting a nod makes sense even though i was not a huge fan of the movie some of the visuals in that especially like with the bear and stuff yeah that is something that is just haunting yeah the human chia pet scene oh was pretty cool <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they did a lot of real cool visual effects in that. Yeah, and then I mean, Black Panther and Avengers: Infinity War, like we get it, like we you you know what you're going in for, so, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. Uh, best production design: Mary Poppins, Roma, First Man, the favorite Black Panther. That one is interesting. Um, hmm, yeah, we we'll kind of see what happens with those. All of these are going to be announced as far as the winners this coming. Monday, uh, the 17th, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Twitter, Seattle Critics. So, yeah, do you think you're going to put out, I mean, I know you always put out your, like, best of list at the end of the year. Are you going to put up the things that you voted for after this? Nope. Okay. I was not sure. I know that a lot of our fellow critics, they do. So, I was not planning on it. So, (laughs) no. Okay. Uh, What are some other kind of standout categories that that you wanted to mention? Uh, none really. I mean, I was shocked that Searching didn't get more love. I yes. really enjoyed Searching. Um, Whitney is in the documentary section. I'm surprised that didn't make it a, a push for it. I thought mm-hmm. Whitney was very well done. Um, 
but you know, like I said, searching John Cho, I thought was really uh, yeah, good one of the best performances it. I've seen this year. Um, I was the favorite got a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Field Street got a lot of love. Um, Vice was was really good. Um, that surprised me. That kind of came out of nowhere. Vice is really good. So um, um, it's good to see that they made it. It's a very diverse look at, at, at the films that are nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique group of films, which I appreciate seeing. Yes. Uh, I don't I don't know what's going to win, but I, I like that the, the, the group we have to choose from I thought was pretty good. Yeah, this year, I mean, and uh, the president of our Seattle Film Critics Society, uh, Mike Ward from Should I See It, he let us all know pretty early on, he was like, this year is the most diverse and up there category and not categories um, decisions like as votes were coming in last year things like ladybird and get out started yeah. pulling ahead very early on this year up until the votes were tabulated on friday at midnight nobody really had any idea what it was going to look like and that i think the, for the nominees yeah for the nominees like and that is really impressive because we have such a variety of critics the movie that I was surprised to see it get so much love, and it it just bothers me. It is on there so many times, but Suspiria, people like it. I hated that movie, um, but there are so many people in our group who voted for it number one. So what, what, did, what did it get? Like, it wasn't it oh, does it for it, best picture? Yeah, it is up for best picture and uh, best costume. The costume makes sense, I guess. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it is up for best picture, which. Oof, that it's not gonna it's not gonna win best picture. Not enough people gonna vote for it for best picture. Yeah, we we will see. But yeah, the last thing <laughs> we'll do is just start, yeah run down the best picture. So Black Panther, Blind Spotting, The Favorite, First Reformed, If Buell Street Could Talk, Mission Impossible Fallout, Paddington Two, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Suspiria. That is a stacked field. Like there are legitimately. Four movies on there, four or five movies on there that have been getting a bunch of love from other critic societies, Golden Globes. Like, this is a brutal year. What did you vote for for Best Picture? Uh, well, can we? Oh, yeah, might as well talk about it. Uh, Blind Spotting. Uh, same. Yeah. I mean, that, that movie, it just, it stuck with me so long. And I really, I was really hoping they sent it to us so that I could continue to watch it. Um, I mean, I, I suppose I could buy it. Uh, but yeah, I was hoping they would just kind of do a push for it because David Diggs and Raphael Cassell, like, they need more eyes on them. Like, Blind Spotting was just a tremendous film. Yeah, I think it'll get a lot of love from other critics associations through the war season. So I think it's a movie people probably revisit, uh, you mm-hmm. know, on Redbox and Netflix when it hits streaming and, and watch it and enjoy it and wonder why they didn't see it in the theaters. Yeah, but I mean, the two favorites right now are Roma and A Star Is Born. Yeah, they're fine. They're, I mean, so it's, it's and it's it's been a really loaded year for for yeah. for films. It's been like a lot of really good. Like I wouldn't be mad if Roma won, A Star Is Born won, if Bill Street Could Talk won. Mm-hmm. If like I wouldn't be mad if those movies won because I thought they were all very very good projects. So. Yeah, if Suspiria, oh no, that... Suspiria is not even if Suspiria won. It it won. Like I don't. <sighs> Gross. I don't. I don't have any venom towards these movies. It's it's what people voted for. Um, yeah, true. And it's you know if it reflects our critic society, then it reflects our critic society, and that's and sometimes our society is not going to reflect the thing that I love the most. True. It might reflect something else, but you know 
knowing our group, I don't think it's gonna make it. <laughs> Fair enough. I just don't. I just don't think it's gonna. You know, yeah. it's, it's such a. Cause it's such a. It's it's divisive in a way. Mm-hmm. Just hearing people talk about it, that I don't know if it has enough legs to to win. I think Paddington Two, oddly enough, has a better chance of winning than Suspiria. People love. They're falling on their sword for Paddington Two. People love Paddington Two. Like they're that, not alone. It, it blows me away. So I still need to see it. It is the two, the only two from the best picture category that I have not watched are the favorite and Paddington two. Yeah, so watch them. yeah, I I'm remedying that tomorrow night. So cool. But yeah, so like I said, all of those are on Seattle, seattlefilmcritics.com. Check it out and then make sure to follow Seattle, Seattle critics on Twitter. And all of those winners will be announced Monday, the 17th from 9am to 11am. All right, into the movies. So, uh, the first one on the deck was a movie that you and I both have been super excited for for a long time now, it seems. So, it is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, directed by Bob Persichetti, Peter Ramsey, and a third director who I forgot to pull up. Oh, uh, Rodney... Uh, Rodney Rothman. So, Tim, how about you set up Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? So, we have a young Miles Morales. He's a half Puerto Rican and black kid living in Brooklyn, New York. And he goes through the normal Spider-Man origin story where he's bitten by a radioactive spider, gets spider powers. But shortly after that, he learns that the Kingpin has a device called the Super Collider, which Mm -hmm. is bringing together a bunch of different universes. And through that, a bunch of other spider people show up in Miles Morales' New York City in, in his universe, and they all have to work together to, one, teach Miles how to be Spider-Man and help stop Kingpin before he destroys the whole entire city. Not just the whole city, potentially universe-folding <laughs> dimension technology yeah. that could have a lot of uh, negative impacts. Yeah, he's doing, a, he's doing a very bad thing with a very big bad machine. Mm-hmm. And they've got to stop him. And we find out, like, kind of in the third act, why he wants to do that. And that was a very unique, I will not say twist, because, I mean, it it is kind of a classic Kingpin uh, tone, I will say. But I liked that they included it. Because he very easily could have been the one-dimensional, oh, I just want this interdimensional portal so that I can have access to these other things that are not in this universe and I can sell them or whatever. I yeah. like that they gave him more depth than he's that. A little sympath- he's a little sympathetic. Yeah. Which I think um, a lot of villains, for us to really kind of latch onto them, sometimes we need. We need that little hook so we just do not see them as this maniacal monster. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've seen the movie twice. And on the second nice. watch... Peter Parker tells him that when he says, I know what you're doing. Oh. And they have a car. He tells him that it's not, you know, they're not there. That's what he tells him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we hear that early and then we only. You don't know. Yeah. You you don't know what he's talking about. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You find out what he's talking about later on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was that was a nice wrinkle Uh, to go down the voice cast uh, real quick. So Shamik Moore does the voice of Miles Morales, and his tone and his intonation, I mean, he nailed it. When it comes to, like, 
doing the voice of like an awkward kind of 15 year old kid, 15, 16 year old kid. Like it was totally believable. It was authentic. It felt real. Uh, Jake Johnson did the voice of Peter Parker also Mm -hmm. crushed it. Uh, Haley Steinfeld did Gwen Stacy, Mahershala Ali, Uncle Aaron, Brian Tyree Henry uh, as Jefferson Davis. Lily Tomlin was in this as Aunt May, which yeah, that was surprising because I was like, good for you, Lily Tomlin. Like, you can kind of just do whatever you want. Uh, that was nice. Uh, your your bae, Zoe Kravitz, was the voice yeah. of Mary Jane. I knew that voice when I heard it. Like, that's <laughs> Zoe. I hear it in my dreams every yeah. night. <laughs> I know that voice. That was her. Uh, John John Mulaney was Spider-Ham. Uh, Kimiko Glenn was Penny Parker. And then Nicolas Cage was Spider-Man Noir. Oh He's my great. gosh! Like Nicolas Cage, I, w- I was—I will not even say nervous because I had no idea what to expect from his portrayal of Spider-Man Noir. Who and those of you who you know are new to it or might not know what that is, Spider-Man Noir was just kind of—it was a limited series. There was also a video game called Shattered Dimensions, and I loved this portrayal of Spider-Man Noir in that the character, even in this hyper-color texture world, is black and white. And he sounds like, you know, he is from, you know, Maltese Falcon or any of these like film noir movies. And he carries that from the beginning of his appearance all the way through the end. And just it was amazing. (laughs) So, yeah, that was impressive. Uh, The other thing that I thought was also really good was just the chemistry between the characters. Now, I have not seen any behind the scenes footage if they actually recorded in the same room together. Sometimes yeah, with voice not. acting, yeah, you just it timing does not really work out that way. Yeah. But the fact that they were able to kind of nail the timing and the tones, like they were actually in the same room, I really felt that. Like it, it felt like true conversations with people, even in this crazy Spider-Man world. Right, and I I enjoyed the entire so the overall theme of the film, which is like that you're not alone by yourself. Like Miles, even before Miles gets his. His his super abilities. He's feeling isolated. His new school. Mm-hmm. He's not feeling like he fits in. He doesn't want. He wants to quit. He doesn't like. That he has to go there outside of his neighborhood. He spends time. I mean, he has he has parents at home, but he spends time with his uncle Aaron a lot because they can connect and they they you know both do graffiti together. Mm-hmm. And um, so when he gets the spider ability, ability, he feels even le- more isolated. And he learns from these other spider friends that he's not alone, and they've all sort of gone through it. And there's a scene where where Gwen Stacy tells him like you know we're we're people we're the people who would know the most like what you're going through yeah and he's she, like, he he t- he tells them like you wouldn't know he was like you know we are, we're kind of the only people who would know <laughs> right and I like the, that that very human response of you know when something like that happens or something traumatic happens in your life and you immediately want to close yourself off yeah and there are people around especially in this movie they're like uh, no getting bitten by a radioactive spider you can talk to us about it. Like, we, we, we get it. We understand. Um, that was just, it was well done. And also the characterizations. Again, for all of these kind of just over-the-wall, crazy character characterizations that everybody is required to do. Because none of these characters are just straight-ahead plain. Like, or just kind of just like an even keel. All of them had to make choices. And they all worked. Like, there was not one character in this movie that really stood out as 
just kind of out of place, which is crazy because we were talking about a multi-dimensional <laughs> multiverse with people and places from all over the place. But everything seemed to kind of glue together really well. Yeah, they did a good job of, of making it feel <clears throat> connected. And, you know, having seen it twice, there are a lot of wasted moments in the film. There's not a lot of wasted beats. It sort of gets right to it. Uh, the way they introduce the characters and sort mm-hmm. of tell their sto- their origin story is great. It's funny. I love um, that. because <laughs> Yeah, it starts out that way. Where it is like, hey, I'm Peter Parker. You know my story. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then everybody gets those beats. Yeah. It's all sort of framed the same way. You know, for the last 20 years, I've been the only Mm Spider-Man. For the last two weeks, you know. Right. (laughs) For the 30 years, you know, for whatever. I've Mm -hmm. been been the one and only Spider-Man. And they're all, they all believe they're the one and only Spider-Man. Because they are in the universe. They're the only one. Yeah. Yeah. That was just, that was really, I mean, again, it was just, it was clever writing choices. And all of it kind of paid off. Yeah. It's smart. It's it's really funny. It's touching when it needs to be. It's it's very it's a very moving sequence when Miles finally gets it and the light bulb sort of clicks for him. Mm. He has this sort of hero moment. That's a really cool moment in the film. Uh, the soundtrack and the score for it is oh. great. Mm-hmm. It matches up perfectly. Uh, the big showdown at the end is really fun. Um, they don't they don't chicken out. It ends up you know Miles gets to have his hero moment. Yeah. You know, it's not like no one's. There's no more hand, no more, no more training wheels for that kid. He's sort of doing his thing, and that's cool to see. And he has a moment with his dad, and like all oh, that's really touching. And um, it has a way of, of of being entertaining and and interesting and unique in a way that most of these superhero movies aren't, and also you know most animated films aren't. It's yeah. something that that you know my friends' kids saw. They loved it, and as an adult, I loved it. So you know, it has a way of. It's one of those rare movies that has a way of sort of connecting a bunch of different generations for different reasons. For sure. And this was something that I talked about when I did a guest spot on the Northwest Nerd podcast uh, last week with Nick and Dyer and the Deadbeat Film Society crew when they were asking me about Spider-Man. And I was saying, you know, that it was solid and all of these things. And that with doing a brand new Spider-Man with Miles Morales... And they, we kind of asked, or we kind of got into it, did Peter Parker and all of these things need to be in it? Could they not have just done a just flat out, just Miles Morales, kind of ultimate Spider-Man version? And my feeling was, I still, unfortunately, even after all of these movies, which they actually reference in this movie, which was hilarious, yeah. even Spider-Man 3, even after all of these, I still feel like if people were to see a Miles Morales Spider-Man movie without all of these connections, they might not respect it. It would just be a different presentation. I, I don't know if that's true. I think people, I think audiences are smart enough to get it. If the story was just Miles trying to figure his way out and there's no smarter people, he's trying, it's the same beats. Mm-hmm. He's trying to understand what's happening and he ends up, you know, going to, you know, Peter Parker's house and, 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 and him and, and Aunt May and that whole thing. If that happens, it still works, but I think bigger than just Miles Morales, I think they're trying to expand into other and a bigger universe yeah. for other things that they want to do, um, which is smart. So if this thing takes off, which I'm pretty sure it will, mm-hmm. then you do you do your sequel with all the Spider Women. You can do another Miles Morales story. You can do you, you can know, do Carnage and Venom and any of these other things that you can do whatever you want. Yeah, and this I think this movie. 
it, it serves as an origin story for Miles and intro him into this whole Sony universe and also serves as it's it's like it's like Doctor Strange the Doctor Strange film for the MCU. It introduced Doctor Strange, but also introduced the idea of all these alternate realities. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy introduced the Guardians, but also the idea that there was a lot going on in space that we didn't know. So yep. then it allows you to bring in these other characters. And I think that's what, you know, that's what this movie serves sort of twofold. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. The animation style is something else that people, you know, have made a lot of comments about. It is very unique. It is a totally yeah. different style than what we are used to. It is not even a traditional style. <laughs> 2D hand-drawn that they then make 3D. Like, this is just... I watch a lot of animation, both in just regular cartoons and anime and other webtoons and everything. This is just so unique and so different. It did take a little bit of getting used to, and sometimes in the action beats, it felt like when you are watching a 3D movie in the theater and you take your glasses down for a second and you see kind of a little bit of the fuzz... There are some of that in the transitional pieces, but overall but I think they do that a lot. When they did, they did that a lot for for Miles mm-hmm. when his New York, but it it was hyper focused on whatever you're supposed to be paying attention to, and that the things on the background and or are outside it surrounding the image looked fuzzy 3D ish, but the actual image you're looking at was sharp. Yeah, everything so, else around it looks fuzzy. Yeah, that was just that was a really interesting choice, and I'm not sure if. I have seen that before where that, I mean, and that was definitely, it was not a mistake. I saw one person on Twitter say that it looked unfinished and sloppy. And it was like, it was a choice. Like that was a pure animation direction choice. Yeah. Cause, because all of the animation for all the characters that we've discussed, all the other spider people, all their animation is different. Yeah. It's all different. And, but yet they're all on the same sheet together. Mm hmm interacting and fighting um and it doesn't look unfinished it's it's actually really sharp and very colorful it is just different and most people you know it it takes them a minute to kind of get into that that zone that mindset it was like um the dragon prince on netflix that was a cartoon that as good as it was legitimately was unfinished in parts like there were parts where the animation was stunted where they did not where, like, you can see around the hands, especially, where it was not finished. Like, they just flat out. This, I never got that feeling, but it does take your brain and your eyes a little bit of time to adjust to this world, this animation world. Uh, but, yeah. So, yeah, Nicolas Cage, he crushed it. Uh, yeah, your girl Zoe Kravitz, for what part she was in. She was great. Uh, Haley Stenfield. And I liked that Kingpin was the very comic book version of Kingpin, where he is like 800 pounds, yet incredibly quick and strong. Yeah. Um, and, his, a, and, a, and a small head. Yeah. <laughs> Which just gets lost into in his like chest yeah. almost. Um, I liked that they included Tombstone, who was just one of like the C-grade villains that was always around him and part of the Sinister Six. Uh, they used one of the newer versions of Scorpion, uh, who is... Latino, that was nice. Just kind of have some diversity there. Yeah, lots of lots of Spanish speaking in this film with no subtitles. Yeah, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about of trusting the audience. Where it was like, you know what, people can handle it. Like the things that his mom is saying to him, and he is getting embarrassed. Miles' mom is saying to him, like, 
we get it. We 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 yeah. can we know, intonate. We know what he's saying. Yeah. yeah, we can intonate what is happening. <laughs> so, yeah. cool. Um, there is a mid-credit scene and a post-credit scene. I highly, highly recommend, and I should not have to say this for Marvel properties, not even Marvel movies, because this is not really a Marvel movie. This is Sony. Marvel properties. Stay until the lights come on. Like, just sit down, relax, take some notes, talk to your friends. But the post-credit scene in this was amazing. It was one of my favorites that I have seen in a while uh, because it was just, it was a deep cut. So, it was funny. I appreciated that. Uh, Cool. So, the official rating system for the About to Review podcast, if this is your first time listening, there are three choices. No letter grades, no stars. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film was something that you would recommend. A bad film was something that you do not regret seeing or spending your time, spending your two hours sitting down for. Uh, but it would not be something you immediately recommend. And an ugly, avoid at all costs. Uh, Tim, what do you give Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Um, uh, I get some good. Um, if I was Sony, I would scrap all the live action stuff we're working on for the Spider-Man <laughs> stuff and, and focus on this animation. I would pour all my money and resources into that. Yep. You're not going to keep making money on Venom and it getting panned and by the critics and people not liking it. Yeah. It happened once. I wouldn't count on it continuing to happen. And just, you know, focus on this animated stuff. That's 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 your wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I do not have faith in Sony's live-action adaptations, similar to I do not have faith in DC's adaptations as far as live-action. I, I have faith. I just, the well, animated stuff was, is so one much... One was good. It was, but it ended with the same. Like the third act is still oh, a big CGI battle in the dark and the rain. It was it was a good movie. It That's was. The end. It was a overall a good project. Yes, I have I have faith that they they can make this. Yeah, that their missteps aren't. They're not huge missteps. They're missteps. They're not like Venom was a huge swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like DC's not that. It's not you know they they at least try to stay true. Like they're at least they're like the biggest not to call this Venom tangent, but Venom's biggest problem was that it was so tonally all over the place. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so I think if they were to transition to especially with you know some of these other projects, like keep it animated. Like you you sold us on this. So uh, my official rating for Spider Man Into the Spider Verse is also a good. I really really enjoyed this. I wanted to see it twice. We had two different opportunities to see it. Um, I was only able to see it once so far, but this is something where, like, I, I will go spend my hard-earned dollars and see this a second time. Like, it was it was really solid. So, cool. Yeah. Uh, switching gears completely uh, to, from a hyper-color, super uh, intense and off-the-wall animated movie to a black-and-white art house film called Roma. Now, this is directed and produced, and he did the cinematography, and he did the editing by Oscar-winning director Alfonso uh, Cuaron from Gravity, to name just one of his uh, accolades. Children of Men. Children of Men, which, talk about a movie that just not necessarily got slept on, but kind of gets forgotten about. Like, Children of Men is a crazy good movie that just kind of went away. So that, yeah, that that never made sense to me. But uh, Mama Tambien, uh, he actually did one of the Harry Potter films. So he wow. did Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It's a good one. 
So that, that was one of the better ones. So Roma is this black and white period piece set in the 70s uh, in, well, kind of in or around kind of the Oaxaca region of Mexico. It follows one family and their housekeeper over essentially the course of a year. We never really get solid dates throughout this movie, but approximately, you know, over a year as the family is going through trials and tribulations, uh, the maid that they have, you know, living with them and taking care of, you know, their kids is going through her own crazy circumstances. The interesting thing about this movie, and maybe this was just where my brain was when I saw this, this has so many little things going on in the background, whether it is the music choices, whether it is things that start getting layered from the beginning. As I'm writing my notes during the movie, I was waiting for that for like basically the other shoe to drop. Like there's this foreboding kind of like tension or atmosphere that is going on throughout the entire movie. When things start happening, literally everything took me by surprise. This was a movie where you and I, as film critics, see hundreds of movies a year. And a lot of times, from the first like 20 to 30 minutes, we can kind of get an idea of where it is going. This movie was way smarter than me. Like, I started writing down stuff, and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to happen. Or I started like making connecting points. And when none of those happened at the end of the movie, and I was still satisfied, and I was still like, wow, this movie just... I mean, not just outsmarted me because I, I really, it is not even about that, but it just makes so many unique and interesting choices that totally took me off guard. Uh, it stars in kind of a breakout role, uh, Yelitsa uh, Aparicio as Cleo, and then the family is just this big family with parents and a grandma and like five kids. And as the as the parents in this film start going through their own troubles and, you know, they start kind of going through a separation. You really see how much the mom is just trying to hold things together. But there were so many, again, like there were so many things in this movie where I was not sure if it was reality. Like I was not sure if what we were watching, if, if it was going to be like, not necessarily an M. Night Shyamalan twist, but like a J.J. Abrams style thing where there's just like a, a tonal shift, kind of in that second act. And so there there was it was just I know that you have not seen this, um, but it was just it is a challenging movie to watch in certain ways because I was waiting for something more to happen, but that is also on me. Like I was kind of putting that on myself watching this, and when those things were not happening, I was like, huh, interesting choice. And then it kept happening. So that was just an interesting uh, tonal choice. This also, uh, Alfonso has worked with the same cinematographer on a few of his projects. He was unable to work with him on this project. So Alfonso was like, okay, well, I guess I have to do the cinematography now. This is one of the most beautifully shot films that I have seen in a very long time. And how you and I were talking about, like, with First Man... There was not really anything unique and different about some of the space stuff. When he did Gravity, he challenged a few things. Like, yes, it was still kind of International Space Station. It was still 
things that we have seen a couple times. This is so matter of fact and direct in its just worldview, in its ability to just be like, this is happening right here, right now. This is the moment. Just live in it was just fascinating. Um, have you like when was the last movie that you saw that not necessarily surprised you at every turn, quote unquote, but that frequently would kind of remind you that there was other things going on that maybe you were not even meant to understand at that time? Uh, I don't know. I can't think of anything. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was just, that was bold cinematic filmmaking. <laughs> uh, my direct quote to the rep after after we saw this movie, because they always ask us for a rep that they can send back to the studio. I said, I have no idea what I just watched, but it was beautiful. Like the the raw emotions that you get from this movie, the way it is shot, the way everything is just centered and focused. It was just, yeah, it was fascinating. That being said, I still, even after watching it and writing notes and getting a, a beautiful book from the studio about this movie and looking through that, I still have no idea what I watched, but I was captivated. <laughs> so it just is so slice of life in a way that I was expecting more, but I was not disappointed when I was completely wrong. Like that, yeah, it was just, right. yeah, took me by surprise. Um, yeah, since you have not seen that, then uh, I will not go too much more into it. But yeah, there, I will say this. There's a very good reason why it keeps it keeps getting nominated in multiple categories in multiple film critic groups. Like this is a gorgeous piece of cinematic filmmaking. It's on Netflix this Friday. Yeah. So it, yeah, it drops this Friday on Netflix. Here's the thing. Netflix has been releasing this in limited theater runs. If you get a chance to see this in a theater, I highly recommend it. Just because, again, the sheer volume of, I mean, it, and it sounds very film critic-y. No, it does. The, the sheer volume of cinematography that he put into this. A lot of the stuff that you and I watch, <laughs> watching it at home on a decent-sized TV, you, you can be okay. Like, it, it is okay. This, you can watch it at home. It will still be beautiful. But if you get the chance, definitely try and check it out. In the theater locally, it is playing at Cinerama which would be a phenomenal experience. So uh, my official rating for Roma, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, starring Yelitsa Aparicio as Cleo, uh, gets a good. Again, I, I would love more people to see this so I can talk to more people about it and explain it to me. I might just not be smart enough for this movie, <laughs> but it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and again, switching tone quite a bit. To Mary Poppins Returns. Mary Poppins. <laughs> no, this is a sequel. Uh, oh, my gosh. How many years in the making? 50? When did the first one yeah. come out? I don't know. Um, I'm actually looking that up right now because I cannot remember for some reason. Uh, the original Mary Poppins came out 1964. Yeah. So, yeah, 54 years ago. Um, and we finally get a sequel. This one stars Emily Blunt as the titular Mary Poppins. Uh, and then Lin-Manuel Miranda as Jack. It's kind of the Bert 
the Dick Van Dyke uh, chimney sweep from the original. And then you have Jane and Michael Banks, played by Ben Wishaw and Emily Mortimer. And then the child actors, yeah, Pixie, Nathaniel, and Joel. Now, first, before we go into this, what does Mary Poppins mean to you? Uh, nothing. Okay. The person coming and flying on an umbrella. That's it for me. I don't really have not have any ties to Mary Poppins or the character or anything like that. So it was not kind of one of the the family classics or nothing that you kind of have some deep feeling towards. No, nah, my family classic was Juice when I was growing up. Wow. Didn't watch Mary Poppins. <laughs> wow. <gasps> okay. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> we're just gonna gloss over that completely. We didn't watch it in our household. We watched a lot of stuff. We didn't watch Mary Poppins, but not something that we we Now, what about another one from around that time, Bedknobs and Broomsticks? No, none of that stuff. Really? None of it was about it. No, didn't watch it. I mean, and there was one of the things where both of those movies are way before you and I were born, but they were such a part, oddly enough, of kind of childhood. Like, they they were just one of those movies from... The old school Disney, or maybe like second wave Disney, because like old school Disney is like Wizard of Oz and Steamboat Willie and everything. But like that second or third wave of Disney, Mary Poppins has always been part of my life. Like I cannot remember the first time I watched it, but it has always been there. And it is a movie similar to how you and I talked about uh, Superman, the original Superman with Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves, like that movie... I cannot watch that movie without having a giant smile on my face the entire time. Mary Poppins gives me that same feeling. Like it just it is a magical movie. It reminds me of childhood, it reminds me of family, just sitting together watching that movie. So I had a lot of emotional investment, which yes, you and I try not to do that because we see so many movies and we can be very disappointed the more we hype things up in our head. I had a lot of emotional attachment going into this movie. Yeah, I try to stay away from being emotionally attached to things that are out of my control. <laughs> right. <laughs> just in general, in life, not in, just movies. In general, yeah. I try to not have that. Yeah. Um, so being that you did not have that you know, deep connection like the Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins, how did you feel about Emily Blunt's Mary Poppins performance? Um, I mean, I... It was not a part of my childhood, but I'm very familiar with the character mm-hmm. and her performance. Um, it's I thought Emily Bunt was good. I thought she was, you know, on the face, like, oh, this is a great choice. And when you watch her, it's a different kind of Mary Poppins. Yes. Um, she's a very stern, um, sort of has a stern presence around everyone. And people are, everyone seems to be aware that, of, of who she is and what she can or can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a, it's a much different approach, but I thought I thought Emily Blunt was fantastic. I thought she was really really good as Mary Poppins. Yeah, and Emily Blunt. I mean, I started really falling in love with her as an actress after Day of Tomorrow, Day After Tomorrow, or Edge of Tomorrow, Edge of Tomorrow, Live Die Repeat. They got rebranded like twice. After seeing her in that, like that really opened my eyes to her, and then seeing her in something like this, where I was like, holy crap. Not only can you do this action, intense, dramatic performance, you can also be Mary Poppins. Like, you can do this, these huge musical numbers with so much magic and intrigue 
in that performance, like she gives so many kind of little like winks and nods to the camera with these huge smiles. Like she totally swept me away and I was not expecting that. Um, One of the other things, of course, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I've talked about him before. He is fantastic. He is somebody who at this point in his career, like he just is, he keeps going up. Like, yeah, he was, he was pretty tremendous. And I liked that his accent was not the horrible, like super cockney accent that I apologize to most Europeans. We blame Dick Van Dyke for making us believe from a very young age, oh, this is what real British people sound like. Um, no, not even when he is supposed to be doing that accent. Nobody in England has spoken like that in a very long time. But I just, Um, oof. I was surprised that Lynn Wilde Miranda had so so much screen time in this film. I didn't expect that. He's on screen a lot. A lot. A lot. He opens and he bookends the movie. He does. Uh, <laughs> and he gets like three. I mean, he has, I think, like five numbers. And like two of them are his. He has an opening number. He's got the number with the with the BMX bike people with flying the, around. The, the lamplighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got the number inside the bowl with him. when they The, go to the that Royal Dalton count. Music Hall. Yeah, they've got that number together. Yeah, he's got a few. He's got at least four. Yeah. He's, done a lot. He's done a lot of singing and dancing, done a lot of Lin-Manuel stuff. <laughs> but again, I mean, like these days, he... I mean, listen, if you're going to have him, use him for that. Exactly. I was going to say, like, yeah. these days, when you have somebody who has won a total of, like, 20 Tony Awards, let him do his thing. <laughs> like, just let him... I mean, I know that he did not write the music. Um, let me actually look that up. So the music was... Uh, composed by Mark Shaman, song lyrics by Scott Whitman um, and Shaman. Uh, but he definitely, like, Lin-Manuel, you know that when they came to him and they were like, hey, this these are some of the beats here, some of kind of the general musical layout. As good as he is, I'm sure he had some input. Think he tried to rap everything like Hamilton style? <laughs> I honestly was surprised that there was not... I there, is a, there, there is a smidge of it a in their smidge, performance. But I was waiting for like just him like, to drop 16. Oh, yeah, I was like, don't <laughs> let a beat drop. If a beat drop comes in here, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> uh, no, but, but the story is wrapped around Mary Poppins returning to this home with his kids, and they're having all these magical adventures with Mary Poppins. Meanwhile, their dad is losing their home. Mm-hmm. And he can't find uh, a certificate of bonds that his father had. So that they for the bank, home, mm-hmm. for the for the bank, and meanwhile the bank is run by a very evil guy, and uh, I forgot who plays him. Who plays Colin the bank Firth? Guy. Yeah, Colin Firth. Yeah, Colin Firth, mm-hmm. the evil bank guy. He's got his two henchmen running around, and his henchmen to, were try, were hilarious. Uh, they're trying they're trying to get their property away from from this 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 well meaning family who just wants you know to live life in London, and that's the story. And Mary Poppins, in her own way, magically helps the situation mm-hmm. what i what i also liked is when she first appears and you can see a lot of this in the trailers and they have done quite a few like featurettes is when mary poppins shows up at the house and michael and jane banks the first time they see her like they drop their bags yeah. they look at her and they're like mary poppins like because as a kid like they almost put it in their heads like she did not exist like they knew she was real but then seeing her as adults they were like it was an immediate reaction of like, 
oh, this I like you were real. But what was crazy is when the when the kids then had their own adventures with Mary Poppins and they're telling, you know, their dad, Michael Banks, about it. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we did this and this. And he was like, oh, stop it. That's just pretend. And it was like right. because he, as an adult, we lose that whimsy. We lose that magic that we had when we were kids. And we saw like we saw the movie where he went on these mystical, magical adventures. And here he is as an adult. being like, That's just that, yeah. that never happened. I yeah. liked that. I like that aspect. I also, with the kids, my biggest um, compliment I can give to that group of actors, Pixie Davis, Nathaniel, uh, Salah, and Joel Dawson, none of them felt like child actors. Like, they just felt like actors. Like like little people? Yeah. Like, that was really surprising because a lot of times, child actors, I mean, it it is tough. I, I will absolutely give it to the child actors in that field. Like, it is a tough thing to do. But these kids, like, they were just so immersive, you know, in their roles. That, yeah, none of them felt like child actors. And that was really huge. Like, I, I was legitimately impressed by all of them. Uh, Meryl Streep was in this, kind of surprisingly, as a woman. Oh, I forgot about that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was just, that was a, that was a whole 10 minutes. I wanted back. <laughs> I mean, that 10 minutes, give Lin-Manuel Lin- 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 another song. Like, nope. Couldn't do that. I you just, gotta, gotta, you gotta have a song where things are upside down and people are falling and everyone's dancing around. And then she's of no longer of any use to the story. She's gone. No. She, she just disappears. She just disappears. <laughs> and part of it is like, okay, who made that call? Was it Meryl Streep being like, Hmm, I hear there's a Mary Poppins and I want to be involved. Because if not, I mean, it's, like it's, it's it's probably easy to get you know some more money for that movie if you got Meryl Streep in there. Oh uh, yeah, so more more of an, a studio choice to Academy get Academy Award winner Meryl Streep <laughs> in a ten minute Academy scene. Award nominee Emily yeah. Blunt, hundred time Tony winner <laughs> Lynette Miranda. You can throw that up on them before you even show us Mary Poppins. You can just throw all that up there and then say. Mary Poppins returns, and people think that it's got some, you know, some weight because you got these heavy hitters in it. I yeah, get the choice. That whole sequence is dumb, though. Yeah, it, it the the movie's the same if it's not in there. It does not add anything. Exactly. To the like movie. the the thing that I liked is that this movie, more so than the others, I mean, obviously the others, the other movie, is this one more people in the world know about Mary Poppins and have a history with her. That was a cool little wrinkle. Like, that was an interesting concept. And even though Meryl Streep's whole scene was dumb and unnecessary, I liked their chemistry of being, like, referencing stories or referencing adventures they went on together. That was that was nice. And again, for anybody who does not know, I mean, Mary Poppins is based off of a whole series of books. Right. So, I mean, that I forget how many books... There were. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot. No, it would also annoy me is Lin Manuel and uh, what's the face were super horny for each other the whole movie and it goes nowhere. Mary Poppins and Lin Manuel? No. Oh, oh yeah, right uh, Jane, Jane Banks. Yeah, the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was cute. I mean it was coy. It was you know a... everyone's pointing. Like, uh, she's got the the the, the lamp girl. Yeah, they've got to light some lamps together if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. And then it go it goes nowhere. Yeah. At the end, I'm like, oh, he's going to, like, make a move. No, nope. he just goes around with his dirty face and lights more lamps. <laughs> like, What's the point of that? I liked it, though. But, yeah, I, I do wish that 
I mean, well, they get a little, yeah. They they have some really great scenes and the great chemistry together. Like the bike riding oh, is super cute. Yeah, the bike riding and like, uh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's fine. It just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, it's fine. It's just like at the end of the movie, like okay, well they didn't, you know, he didn't like light her lamp in the middle of the night and like wave to her in the window or something. Give me something. Yeah, no, I I can definitely see that. That is, that is valid. Um, I did a quick search and it looks like there are eight, uh, previous books. Oh, so, yeah. I have not read a single one of them, and yet I love Mary Poppins, the original movie. Uh, now, Dick Van Dyke is the only person from the original that they were kind of billing is in this movie. They, To me, and I cannot go into more detail on this, you and I can talk off mic, but there was a huge missed opportunity to kind of tie in the original in a different way than what they had been doing. And I, and I kind of wish they had had done it um the music though kind of going back to that there are 26 songs <laughs> uh too many songs i mean yes and no but some of them are really there's quick a, there's a song every like five seconds yeah well actually like, why are this why are there so many songs right now <laughs> i mean and me i of course was totally on board for all of them except for topsy like that that weird I song don't... I don't I don't dislike the song. They're just all different variations of the same song. Yeah, I I could see that. I mean, and it is very old school Disney. Like the Sherman a, Brothers. We're, we're gonna go I don't wanna be poor and lose my house song. They're the kids. <laughs> we still love our mom song, even though she's no longer with us song. It's supposed to be like this tearjerker where the little kids start. The I'm a, I'm part of the working class and this is yeah. what we do song. I like I like lamp song. <laughs> Every day, um, please but, don't take my house song. Another one of those. Right. Um, just looking through the song titles, um, a conversation. Can you imagine that? The Royal Dalton Music Hall introducing Mary Poppins. A cover is not the book. The place where lost thing goes. Uh, a cover not the book. Yeah, like I mean, but at the same time, if you put yourself in the mind of old school Disney, it all makes sense. Like it, it yeah. all, it all feels. The same. Yeah, but I was also during a time when I was three-fifths a human and didn't have any rights. <laughs> things, uh, changed. things changed, John. All the, not necessarily in England at that time. They actually... It was, it was different uh, over on. there. Come on. Oh, oh, oh. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it was so different over there. Just a, a pinnacle of, of, of racial unity over in over there. In, in Brexit land. In jolly, yeah. old, jolly old London time. <laughs> Good times. Um, I mean, uh, hey, the, uh, the Colin Firth's one of his boys, his assistant was a black guy who was hilarious. It, there was, it, it was a, a much more diverse film than I uh, imagined, but too many songs for me, just for my liking. Okay. Too, uh, to clarify, too many of the same kind of songs. Okay. And maybe one or two, because I will not say too many songs, but one or two where they could have done something more interesting or more different. You don't say. <laughs> the Turning Turtle is actually the name of the Topsy's song. Um, come on now. Yeah. That, that is just ridiculous. Was, Topsy's song was a waste. Then they get stuck in the fog. There's another song because people are driving BMX bikes. Yeah, that was, then, that was an interesting choice. And then the end thing with the clock, like, why are we wasting everybody's time with this? Mm. Like, <laughs> we're wasting people's time. Especially when the resolution to that scene... Yeah. It could have happened immediately. Immediately. <laughs> like it was just 
if 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 that was a plan to do Man, X, I thought they're gonna I thought they're gonna break out in the song inside the bank again. I was like, this is enough. I've had enough of these songs. <laughs> I don't need another like we got the money song at the bank. Like we get it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that bank scene, and again, this is not a spoiler. It is in one of the trailers. Dick Van Dyke. Um, at let me pull up how old he is. Ninety-two years old. Dog. He looks 105 in that scene. I was like, what is it? Is he CGI? Like, how is he even on his feet? That was impressive. And yeah. I actually, and me and uh, one of our other critics, Sarah, we were talking about this beforehand. I was like, eh, from the trailer, it looks kind of CGI, blah, blah. She was like, no, that's actually him. So when I was looking at it, he is still kind of performing. Like, at 92 years right. old, outside of Mary Poppins, like, he is still kind of, well, quote, unquote, active. As active as a 90-year-old man can be. But, like, whether or not he did all of the dance moves that he did, like, he did quite a bit of it. And that was legitimately impressive. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was beautiful in this film. So there are two, uh, actually, now that I think about it, within the span of, like, 20 minutes, there are three songs that, oh, take, you don't say. <laughs> that, that take place um, in this porcelain or on this porcelain bowl and in this world, the sound design was exceptional. Like as they're walking a rock walking around, you hear their footsteps on like this porcelain glass. That was really cool. And the animation style that they blend yeah. in there was incredibly reminiscent of the old school 1964 animation to live action stuff with Dick Van Dyke. Like moments like that were pure magic for me. Like, seeing the old 2D hand-drawn animation style was just beautiful. I loved that. Yeah, there was a part during that sequence where I was like, are these kids going to die? And I was like, oh, right? they're not going to kill these kids. <laughs> yeah, it got dark. Um, yeah, they're, trying to kill, they're trying to murder these children. Which, I mean, granted, if you watch some of those old-school Disney movies, they did not pull punches. Like, those old yeah. Disney movies were brutal. Uh, yeah. yeah, let me see what else. Uh, they could have right. really had like 15 songs and been, and been Gucci with it. They, <laughs> they did way too many songs. 15 is fine. An opening number, a couple little small numbers, the big number when they're inside the bowl, another big number with bike people flying around, a big number at the end of the little small numbers. But like, you know, I, I was I was way past like <laughs> someone takes two breaths and then there's another song. <laughs> I mean, and do you just like, do? do you, why, are you, why are you singing about putting your bike together? Like, I get it. You have a bike. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't need a song about flying. I don't need a song about flying a kite. Oh, but come on, it, it tied into the original. Yeah, um, I don't need a song about it. <laughs> right. I mean, to use it to use a musical theater term, this really did almost stop becoming a musical and veer into operetta, where there was less dialogue and more singing. Oh, yeah, that happened early on. I, I mean, like, oh, it's one of these movies. Yeah. Where we're, I mean, we're just going to we're going to sing everything that we do. Where I mean, also like similar to a movie musical like with Rent. With Rent, a regular scene is happening where people are talking and then suddenly da 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 and then bam, musical yeah. number. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden the character will slow down, you hear a melody and they'll turn very right. you know, <laughs> gracefully towards a street lamp. I'm like, oh, you're going to lean on a street lamp and you're going to have something to say. It's, it's some sort of rhyming prose. Not something to say, something to sing. Something to sing. I want to be blah, 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 blah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> right. It all sounds the same. Like, if it didn't sound the same, I wouldn't have a problem. 
it all just kind of sounded the same. And I was like, this is putting me to sleep. Wow. Wow. You think it's it's fun. It's mm-hmm. entertaining. A couple hundred songs less, I would have been <laughs> enjoyed it more. Uh, Fair. But you got to go knowing that it's it's heavy in the singing. Oh, and yeah. Like, it's heavy. But the visual effects are fine. The little kids are fine. Mary Poppins is good. Lin-Manuel is good. You know, the villains are whatever. The villains actually, I mean, they, they're solid villains. They're not enough. They need more. I would like more villains and less singing. Or at least give the villains a, a, a musical number. Give them one. Yeah, that is true. Well, you uh, still stealing people's houses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to give it like do like a Grinch who stole Christmas type thing. Like give them a menacing song. Yeah. Give them like the hyenas had in Lion King. Give them something. Yeah. Okay, I, I can see your point. For Mary Poppins, we're in the bathtub. We're all full of bubbles, and we're singing about being underwater. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You just you just had a musical number. Why are we doing another one where now you're in the tub? Well, because what type of movie would not be able to transition from one musical number to literally two minutes later into another musical number? We would yeah. just be lost. We would know what was going on. It's, <laughs> right. And it's a scene where they have to take a bath. It's not even an important scene. <laughs> they're, just, they're taking a bath. I mean, uh, that was important because that was when they first are exposed to her magics. Um, it's yeah. so long. Uh, the costume design in this is phenomenal. I love the costumes, production design, visual effects. Like, yeah, and most likely this is going to get at least one original song nomination, or at least ah, they weren't even good original songs. What? What? I didn't walk away singing anything. Oh, I, I did. About any triple little light, fantastic. Oh gosh, the maybe lamp- the, maybe the 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 don't the book. In this cover one, a cover is not one. the book. Cover not the book. That's the most interesting song they do. Okay, yeah, I, I can see it. The Royal it's, Dalton it's, Music it's, Hall, it's, like the it's, big it's musical a, it's number. Nice, it's a nice duet to the two of them. It's like Cat Scat and uh, Paul Abdul on the rooftop. It's fun, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So yeah, that is Re- Mary Poppins Returns. Uh the. Let me see. Actually, uh, music. Yep. Um, I only saw this once. Uh, I want to see it again immediately. Wow. You have like another eight hours to watch this again? <laughs> it is not even that long. It is only it's, two hours and ten minutes. Um, like eight hours. <laughs> I keep going from song to song. Rude. Uh, okay. So official rating for Mary Poppins Returns. Go. Is it bad for me? No. Are you serious? It's way too many songs. What? It's way too many songs. We are fighting right now. We are in a fight. What? Too many songs. Like, the good of it is Emily Blunt and the acting Uh and And the magic and and the the mystery and the the costumes and all the little nods to Mary Poppins. It's fine. But, man, it's so... There's just there's so much unnecessary music that I just couldn't Ugh. get past it. I was I was I found myself like rolling my eyes like why are we singing about tiger our shoes right now? You like, listen, you listen, wound listen, me, listen. sir. You wound me. Listen, it could have been 90 minutes, hit six seven strong songs, <laughs> couple little songs in between, got to the point and got out. But it stretches on for two plus hours with and it, it just a bunch of like you said that whole sequence. When it was Meryl Streep, it does not need to be in the movie. Yes, I agree with that. 
But there's a bunch of stuff like that in the movie. Like, we didn't, we didn't need to have that. The we Turning Turtle just... song is only four minutes and 20 seconds. Cut that out. Um, the that longest whole sequence is like a 10-minute sequence of them going there, learning about who she is, they introduce the character, she's like a cousin or whatever, everything goes upside down, they're walking down the alley, it's really a waste of everyone's time. Wow. It's a bad. Wow. If you, if you just love musicals, uh-huh. if you're like John and you can't, you love everything <laughs> that has a musical attached to it. If you'd watch a musical version of The Meg and enjoy it, then feel free and watch okay. Mary Poppins. Okay, first of all, tell me you would not be first in line to see a musical version of The Meg. No, how many songs are we talking about? Ten. Yeah, that's too many. <laughs> uh, yeah, if they had to cut down on a song, it would have been, been better. But it, uh, if you're a fan of musicals, this is definitely for you. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who's like, eh, I'm not, I don't love musicals, this may drive you absolutely insane <laughs> like it did me. <sighs> <sighs> okay. I am real upset right now, but that is okay. Um, yeah, I'm just being honest, man. It's, uh, you know. All right. Uh, my official rating, because I have a heart and a soul and I appreciate magic and love and happiness, this is a good. I want to see this again as soon as possible. I want to get the soundtrack. Oh, God. I, th- I love this movie. <laughs> so, and, oh, and, and Emily Blunt, like, she was great. Like she was so captivating as Mary Poppins. Uh, she's great in it. <laughs> just not when she is she's singing great. all the time. <laughs> no, it's just it's dog. You, you you if you can detach yourself from your love of musicals, you know there's way too many songs in this movie. This I is think there is many. only one song that is unnecessary, which is the Turning Turtle with Meryl Streep. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. We'll I see mean, when people see it, they'll be like, Yeah, there's a lot of songs. And Triple Little Light Fantastic. Seven minutes, two oh, seconds. Oh, no. We did not need <laughs> Triple Little. We did not need that. I forgot about that atrocity. And Dick Van Dyke triple gets... Triple Little Fantastic. And they all are saying stupid, wacky things. I'm like, I'm not nine years old. This isn't entertaining to Triple me. Little Light Fantastic is basically the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious yeah. of this version. Oh, I know. But it's not as cool. That's the problem. Oh, I knew man. what they were trying to do, and I was like, oh, this isn't as cool. It's not even as catchy. <sighs> Wow. Triple Little Light. No, no kid's going to be singing Triple Little Light Fantastic. Disagree. Who? What kids? Uh, the kids that I'm going to teach how to sing this when I see them on the on the train oh, or God. downtown yeah. or anywhere where someone, I see kids. Someone's, someone's parents are going to assault you for talking <laughs> to your kid. For just, sing for me, child. Yeah, Triple Little Light Fantastic, kid. Come on, you can do it. Yeah. I mean, it also, the other reason I kind of like that song is that it's in... seven minutes, bro. In Dungeons & Dragons... If you are playing as a rogue, there's a language called Thieves' Cant, which is basically like this language, you know, that like they were talking about Triple Light Fantastic, where certain people in a line of work have different dialogue and different words they use. So it was like Thieves' Cant in Dungeons and Dragons. So yet another reason that song is amazing. Yeah, anyway. the, Venn, the, the Venn diagram of Mary Poppins and Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> is you. It's you. <laughs> All right. I just, I am the middle. <laughs> it's just you. It's a picture of your face. <laughs> yeah, I enough. forgot that song. It's seven minutes, man. And That's if you long. include the reprise that Dick Van Dyke is on, it bumps it up to eight minutes. That's a long time <laughs> to be singing the song. It's so... Uh... But you also have BMX bikes in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I needed. A bus of, like, truck. In jolly old London town. Truck lamp people singing songs to my children in the <sighs> fog at night. Good times. I'm waiting for 
you know, Jack the Ripper show about the fog and teach somebody a lesson. Then they go to the sewer. I was like, what is this? Why are we in the sewer? Wow. Okay. Uh, I mean, okay. Yes. We could go on about this, but we're not going to. But basically, if you like musicals, if you want to see beautiful costumes, beautiful production design, and if you like happiness and love and light in your life, go see this movie. If you're an insomniac and you're having trouble sleeping, (laughs) buy a ticket. This is not cinematic ambient. Like just let, just nestle into some some music that's gonna put you to sleep for <laughs> a two hours. You'll be fine. Uh, I work in a theater, man. The attendant will come wake you up when it's over. Don't have to worry about that. They'll rude. come nudge you and say, "Sir, <laughs> sir, the movie's <laughs> over. We have to clean this theater." So rude. Uh, okay. So to recap, the movies that we talked about on this episode. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We both gave a solid good two. Really enjoyed this movie. This is definitely family-friendly. As much as they, the action was intense and there was a lot of violence, there was not really any blood. Like, there was just... It was a lot of just cartoon violence that you'd see on, like... Not necessarily Looney Tunes, but a lot of action, but nothing that would kind of make it a little bit weird for parents and kids to see together. So, yeah, and great performances by everybody. So that gets a good... Roma, uh, I was the only one who saw that of the two of us. This is a beautiful film that I do not know what I watched. Uh, but I cannot take away anything from it. It was shot beautifully. It was acted wonderfully. The story was was good, even though, again, I want to talk to people smarter than me so they can explain it to me. It is kind of autobiographical, in a sense, for Alfonso. And this is a very personal project. So it had that going for it. Uh, But yeah, so I gave that a good. And then Mary Poppins Returns. I gave a good two, and Tim did not have an opinion of it uh, because he is lame. And I cut off every, I edited out all of the negative things he said about it. Uh, So, and Tim gave it a bad because he hates happiness. Uh, So yeah, so that kind of wraps it up for for this week's episode. Uh, Next week, we will be back with a whole bunch of geek news. There is a bunch to talk about this week, but I just, yeah, it is late. So I wanted to make sure to get this out to you, my dear listeners. And thank you also for downloading and listening and telling a friend about this. That is what really makes me feel awesome is not only when my regular listeners send me a tweet and be like, hey, I love listening to Tim. Tim and John talk about this or they send me a text or an email. But when I actually get looped into other conversations on Twitter or on Facebook being like, hey, I was listening to this episode and they tag their friend and tell them to listen. That means the world to me. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, Tim, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, they can find me at thepeoplescriticblog.com. They can find me on Twitter, People's Critic, Instagram. And I'll be you know, posting my top 10 list at some point in the next few weeks. So look forward to that. Nice. Uh, and then next week, we are seeing two <laughs> two movies again that we have been excited and yet I'm kind of terrified for because both of them kind of look really excited? good. Excited? I don't think I've been excited for either of these movies. I am curiously excited. So Bumblebee and Aquaman are next week. Both of them, oddly enough, look fun. And I was not expecting that. <laughs> so we will see hopefully uh and we need to get on some scheduling stuff but hopefully there will be a special guest in the studio for for that episode 
Uh, but yeah, so as for this episode, make sure to follow it on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. AboutToReview.com has full links to the show notes and guests. So all of Tim's links for social media and his website will be on there in the show description. If you want to support the show, there's a support tab. Uh, it is the holiday season, so if you are feeling generous, that would be great if you want to support the show. But also, you support the show every week by listening, so I appreciate that as well. You can leave review and, yeah, leave a review and five stars on iTunes and Facebook, all of that. Uh, so, yeah, next week, a couple different movies and some geek news. So, on this week's episode, I have been joined by... Tim, the People's Critic. And I have been your host, that guy named John. We'll see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves.